Welcome to the Royal Caribbean Blog Podcast, a weekly look into the world of Royal Caribbean cruising. I'm your host, Matt Hotchberg, and this is episode number 147. One of the things Royal Caribbean really does well is it offers cruises to destinations around the world, with sailings that visit so many different ports of calls. One of the more popular cruising destinations Royal Caribbean serves are cruises to Alaska. And this week, we're going to look at the ins and outs of taking a Royal Caribbean cruise to Alaska. This is such a big topic that we're actually going to be beginning a brand new series of podcast episodes focusing just on cruises to the last frontier as we consider this week the length of cruises to Alaska, the pros and cons of the ports you'll be sailing out of, and we'll also consider the times of year that you can cruise to Alaska. Here we go. You know, they say, tis the season. In this case, tis the season to cruise to Alaska. Alaska is somewhere Royal Caribbean has been cruising for a long time. In fact, it's probably one of their biggest areas of destinations that that they can take you to. And when we're in the month of May, we are really beginning a very popular time of year to go cruising in Alaska. And, you know, it, it got me thinking, we should talk about this. More than just answering an email, more than just a passing thought, let's talk about the ins and outs of cruising to Alaska, and this is actually going to be the first of two episodes, I believe, that are going to look at taking a Royal Caribbean cruise to Alaska, both the planning process and actually what to expect on board. I'm hopeful that this is going to be a very helpful process to help everyone listening understand what to expect, what to do, what to avoid, and really have a better Alaskan cruise. And if we're talking about taking a cruise to Alaska, there was one person that came to my mind immediately and and I had to have her on here. In fact, we had her on here a number of episodes ago, and I don't remember the number, but I will post a link in our show notes to it. It is Stephanie Miller, a travel planner over at MAI Travel. Stephanie, welcome to the Royal Caribbean Blog Podcast again. How are you doing, Matt? Thanks for having me. Hey, great to have you on here again. Love talking about this. Actually, I got to give full credit here, Stephanie, because you're you're the brains of the operation. Uh, I'm just here for for my naturally boyish good looks. And, uh, but but we gave you full credit to actually one of our listeners, Keith Fortin, who wrote to me and says, Matt, thanks so much for the podcast. I really enjoy it. Nice to hear you also uh, after being a loyal listener to WDW Today over the years. I've taken a cruise. I've never taken a cruise. But me and I want to take a once-in-a-lifetime cruise to Alaska for our 25th, 25th anniversary in 2018. And being the OCD planner that I am, I'm trying to learn as much as possible about the experience. And I would love to see you do an Alaska series on the podcast. And I thought, Keith, this is an amazing idea. I love this idea. So, Stephanie, then I, I, I immediately contacted you say, hey, let's make this happen. And, you know, I think a lot of people, I, I don't know, I, I was going to say a lot of people don't consider Alaska, but people do consider Alaska. It's a very popular destination, and but it's a very different destination, right? I think that the, if you're looking, correct me if I'm wrong, but I kind of get the sense, and I, and I really admit I've never actually done an Alaska cruise, but I kind of feel like Having experience in the Caribbean, if I were to go do a Mediterranean cruise, I think there's some similarities. There's a lot of there's a lot more similarities there than maybe Alaska. Is that a fair assessment to say? I think it's fair. I mean, I think the blaring difference is the temperature. Um, and people think of vacation, they think about going and laying on a beach or being in the sunshine and escaping winter or relaxing. So Alaska is just different because it's it's cold, um, and we're going to go over that a little bit. But I think um, I think you're right. Alaska is about the destination, and more so than the ship. Um, you know, a lot of times when you go cruising, you want to spend time on the ship, and that's fantastic. But when you're in Alaska, it really is about 
the country. Absolutely. Now let's talk about, I'm going to ask you actually a quick curveball question. We weren't planning on this question, but I think it's important to raise it nonetheless. Does Alaska skew towards a certain demographic or away from a certain demographic? And the one, I'm, the one off the top of my head I'm thinking of is, you know, is, is, it, is it a good cruise for families with young families, older kids? You know, is it, is it better for people that are older, people that are younger, people that like fish? I mean, <laughs> does it, is, there right. a certain, is there a certain grouping that you would say, yes, it's definitely for or definitely not for? I think it used to be that you could say retired people went to Alaska, but I think that's old school. And I think now what we're finding is that younger people do go to Alaska and um, then, and it's getting family friendly due to the family friendly ships that are now going there. Um, You know, they encourage it. So if, if you want to go, you should go and take your kids. Um, I do think, Part of the reason people tend to leave the kids behind can be the increased cost um, for flights and for excursions and things like that. So sometimes it's that anniversary special getaway, um, you know, so that you don't have to multiply that times three, four and five people. Right. Makes sense. All right. I I think I agree with everything you said. I mean, I, I don't think really... I don't think there's many destinations other than maybe transatlantics where it may, you know, really say you might have to think twice about who you're bringing on board with you. But I think Alaska's great. I mean, not only is it, is it beautiful and amazing, it's also very educational. It's uh, it's it's a very cool, no pun intended, experience. <laughs> and it's it's a real part of the, you know, for, for those of us that are, that are residents of the United States, it's a, not only is it a big piece literally of the United States, but it's, I mean, in terms of history and culture, it's, it's, it's great to be able to visit that part of the country. Right. And it can be port intensive so that there's a lot to do. Kids like to do stuff. So there's a lot of doing involved and not just sitting. Okay. Well, let's talk about length of cruises because, uh, you know, one of the questions Keith had was, what is the best length of cruise best suited for Alaska? Um, There's not a whole lot of variety, but there is some differences. And I think it's important to kind of talk about that, the, the length of cruises and which are best suited for Alaska. Yeah, you know, there's really three options to choose from. You can go a round trip, which means you leave one port, you go on your cruise, and then you come back to the port. Um, And that is for Royal Caribbean at Seattle. And so you stay down on the southern part of Alaska when you do that and into Canada. Um, The other option is to go northbound. So you do an open-ended, you know, cruise and you go out of Vancouver and then you sail north and go to Seward or you can go the other way and go southbound. Um, it's like a repositioning cruise in, in a sense. In a way, yeah. And they're all seven nights. Um, so the length doesn't change, but the port itinerary changes. Um, and then you just have to decide to, you know, where you want to visit. Um, before and after, because you can add land tours in Alaska is very common. So people do the cruise tours, which people have heard of, but a lot of people don't do with Royal um, because it's very Alaska, you know, Alaska specific and Europe, you know, specific. So people who go in the Caribbean don't usually do those, but um, it's something to look at because you can add on two, three, four, five nights in these ports before or after your cruises. Cool. So when we're talking about the difference really between a, a, a round trip or a one-way, well, I forgot how you called the one-ways, the ones where you only go one <laughs> Yeah, northbound, northbound or southbound. Southbound, right. 
the, the primary difference is if you do a northbound, I guess well, there's a couple differences, but if you were to do a northbound and a southbound together, which would be a back-to-back, which would be 14 nights, you'd see more <laughs> of Alaska, right? There's more port stops. Right. And the other, the big, the big, you know, debate, if you will, you can look on the web, you can get people's opinions and Google and all that. It's whether to do Hubbard Glacier or to do Trace Yon Fjord, which is um, Sawyer Glacier. Because some people love one and some people love another. So, you know, the, the Hubbard Glacier is big, huge, and grand, and it's in a bay. And then the fjord is narrow, towering wall canyon, you know, that you go up to the glacier. So it's two different looks, if you will. Most people say if you're only going to do one, that you should definitely go to Hubbard Glacier. But... It, like I said, for everyone who says that, someone says no, Trace Yarm's better. So you can ar- you can argue all all day long. Which one is Hubbard on with the the, the round? The Hubbard the Hubbard is the north and the southbound, um, okay. and then Trace Yarm is on the round trips. Makes sense. Let's talk about we kind of highlighted a little bit the port that you sail out of and the pros and cons because Royal Caribbean sails out of Seattle and Vancouver, and mm-hmm. you kind of mentioned a little differences there in that Vancouver is the is the northbound or southbound, right? Right. In Vancouver, um, you can also do the cruise tour out of Vancouver. You wouldn't do one out of Seattle. Um, but the main difference is passports, passports, passports. So you are going to be locked into passports if you do the north or the southbound because you're flying internationally into Vancouver. Um, so if you go out of Seattle, you can still do the old birth certificates and photo ID, original birth certificates. Um, the other issue can be air. So open-ended air can be expensive. Um, whereas sometimes a quick in and out of Seattle, depending where you are, can be a cheaper flight. When you say open-ended air, what do you mean? Cause you're going to fly into Vancouver and then out of Seward or Anchorage or Fairbanks, wherever you go out of on the North or vice versa. So you're not getting just that round trip ticket. You're getting a, you know, two one ways essentially. Got it. Uh, any any differences between Sailway that you've noticed between, I mean, is, is Seattle inherently more beautiful or Vancouver more inherently beautiful in terms of Sailway or they're virtually, you know, similar? Uh, Vancouver, you kind of go through, you're in the inland inside passage a little bit longer because to get to Seattle, you kind of have to kick out a little bit. Um, both, I think both cities are amazing. So if you haven't been to one, it you could have some pre-nights in either and just enjoy both cities. They're, they're both fantastic. If you haven't been to one and you've been to the other, I'd go to the other because they're great. You should see both. Out of curiosity, if a cruise goes out of Seattle, per the United States maritime law, you have to stop in another country. So where do they stop in Canada? That's considered, they, uh, uh, Vic- Victoria. Oh, that's nice. Victoria's supposed to be very beautiful, right? The flowers. Yes, and- gardens and all the, yes, yes. Nice. All right, so we talked about the uh, the ports differences essentially, and now we're going to talk about the uh, differences. This is the big one: differences in the time of year. So let's start with the basics. When is cruise season to Alaska? Okay, it's starting late May, so it's right now is when it's starting. Depending on the you know how the week falls and what they're doing up there, it'll start right about now, and it'll go till about the first week in September. Okay, and when is prime season? Because there's a peak and there's, you know, just because they're cruising now doesn't mean it's necessarily peak. 
It's getting, I was looking because I was curious, Matt. I looked at all the port visits, you know, to see when there's a lot of ships in the ports. Your listeners, I'm sure, all go to do that and they find out, you know, just like if you want to see who's in NASA with you, you can go do that for Alaska too. And it's getting to where they are increasing. I mean, it's pretty full early on. There, It is more all of June and July. It is heavier for those two months. And then it's a little lighter in the beginning and a little lighter in the end. Um, the uh, the temperature differences, um, I looked just and pulled the averages. And in May, you're looking at 55 degrees. I did Juno because it's in the middle. Okay, so it's kind of, you know, where every in both all the itineraries go there. So it was 55 in May. Um, and in July, it's up to 64. So you're looking at, you know, 10 degrees difference. Um, September is back down to 56. Um, so it will be warmer. However, the rainfall in May and June is only a three inch rainfall. I say only, but I mean, it rains a lot. Um, but in August, it can get up to six and then September it goes up to nine. So you can see it just steadily increases as summer goes. Wow. Yeah, that is a lot. So when we're talking about these temperatures, though, we're really talking about layers, right? Like in the morning and the evening, it'll be cool. You know, you'll need jackets. But in the afternoon, sometimes in the summer, you can wear shorts or at least T-shirts. Absolutely. Uh, Shorts and T-shirts if you're out hiking around and then layers, 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 and always be ready for rain. So, you know, I I went in that, there's those three-in-one jackets that have the fleece with the outer shell, and you can wear one, the other, or both. Um, And I just wore that all the time. Um, You want scarves, you want mittens, and you want really good shoes. Let's talk about about what makes the world go around. Money. When is the least expensive time, or when can you find the best value a lot of times for an Alaska cruise? Right now, uh, it looks like the best rates are those first ones in May. Um, Early May just seems to be the least expensive. I think a lot of kids are still in school. Um, So they, you know, the summer vacations aren't hitting for the families. Um, And it's just, it's the, the time of year where you can just get a decent deal on these cruises. Now, one of the things I was doing is my research here, as the due diligent podcaster that I am, and... The one of the things they said, and I don't know what this means, in certain months like May and September, it says no bugs. What does that mean? <laughs> well, just well, it's not necessarily true. <laughs> I'll tell you, you that. About here? <laughs> well, there's there's bugs. I mean, it's if it's raining, there's bugs. And and when we were there, we were there in early June and we joked that the mosquito was the size of a pterodactyl because it was, they were huge. Um, so I, I would say that that's a wash. I think there's, it's high bug season and it depends more on the weather and the temperature and the rain than, I mean, I suppose they haven't had time to all hatch yet if it's earlier. Um, but it's, it's always buggy. That there, there's your, there's, there's your slogan for the state. It's always, it's always buggy. buggy. It's always buggy <laughs> Come to Alaska. <laughs> um, so some other observations seasonally. Uh, is there a concern? One of the things is about you know uh, the availability of salmon. Is that to see or eat? I see like red salmon, okay. silver salmon. I'm glad you asked that, Matt, because did you know there are five kinds of salmon? 
See? I did I did not know that. I thought there was just that one kind that the bears always try to snag up that <laughs> up that waterfall. No, there's five. And so okay, people always want to see the salmon run, or they want to go salmon fishing, or they want to go halibut fishing. The best thing you can do is go like if you're gonna go into a port, you you can go to the visitors bureau for that city. And they have, you know, fishing is just the huge industry up there. So they actually will post when the runs are for the fish you're looking for. What we found, too, is if it's all a a guess, okay? Sometimes they think it's going to be one week and then the salmon don't come until the next week. It's a guess. So what I found, though, is that if it's not one salmon, it's another salmon. Or if you're fishing, if you're not catching salmon, they'll take you to get the halibut. So the good fishermen know where the fish are. They want you to be happy, and you just have to be a little flexible. But I think the best information is on those visitor websites. Sure. And speaking of those visitor websites, I stole some good information there to make me sound smart. Uh, a couple <laughs> things, I guess, from time of year. The June, you get the June and July, you get the longest days of the year. That's true everywhere, right? I mean, that's anywhere in the in the northern hemisphere, right? Even in right, you're gonna that you're going to get longer days in June and July than you're going to get in other parts of the year. Uh, they all say the best bear viewing is mid-June through the end of August. Okay. So that's when they're active. Yeah. And also, of also interest to me at least, in September you get some northern lights uh, being able to be viewed uh, there, which is kind of interesting. Obviously, that's something that a lot of people, I mean, I, I think a lot of people have a lot of stereotypical views of Alaska. That it's mm-hmm. always, you know, it snows 365 days a year. And it's, you know, at night it looks like uh, the movie Brother Bear. (laughs) You know, know, there's certain stereotypical things you expect, but it is interesting how much it can vary from month to month. I agree. And I do think, you know, if you want to see those northern lights, it's going to be really tough to do in the middle of summer. It's light, you know, 20 hours a day. Um, those peak, those peak travel times in the middle of summer are when the day's the longest, obviously, um, so that might be an advantage or a disadvantage, depending who you are. Um, those northern lights, though, I think you definitely have to catch very late in the year. All right, so I'm going to ask you, the, we're going to wrap this up on an insider kind of question here. Okay. What is, in your opinion, and this is an opinion, so there is no right or wrong answer, because I'm sure we can find 100 people that agree with you, 100 people that think you're crazy. Okay. Um, <laughs> said, is it, in your opinion, would you go for the price or would you go for the, for the time of year? Do you think what do you think is more important uh, in terms of, especially for a first timer? Should you go for the shoulder seasons to chase the better fares, or is it really worth it, especially as a first timer, to go in, you know, June or July, in order to in order to catch the um, you know the peak of the season? I would go if money is an issue. I would go on a shoulder season so I could still get a balcony. Because you'd be better off in a balcony on shoulder season than prime season in an inside stateroom. And we're going to talk about that in the next episode in more in-depth, so don't worry. We'll, we'll get there. Okay, yeah. And if it's someone like yourself, you're just going to... You go peak? I guess, what, what, when would when is peak absolutely uh, more of a preference? It's just when you want to have the absolute best kind of experience from a viewing standpoint? Yeah, and well, so like the ice, for example, in the fjord, if it's early May the icebergs might be too thick and the ship can't get in depending on the day. So if you want to just be guaranteed, you know, to see everything that June time frame when the ice is melted enough that you can get in and the days are long and it's not rainy, relatively speaking, 
you know, maybe you go for it. But I'd be the person I'd go and <laughs> it would still rain. <laughs> There'd still be ice. So, cause there's no guarantees with Alaska. You have to be flexible. Absolutely. So it seems like just to wrap up for the warmest temperatures, you want to cruise between mid June and mid August for the most midnight sun come three weeks before or after the summer solstice and the longest day of the year is June 21st. Mm-hmm. Um, and then seeing the northern lights, it seems, according to this website, uh, that's a long shot during cruise season, but it can't happen in September, uh, but not nearly as obviously as Yeah. Texas. Or talk to your travel agent and go to Iceland instead. <laughs> See, look at that. That is, a, that is what a true travel agent suggests. No, in fact, you should book a different cruise and go see that. Exactly. Awesome. Well, we're going to – so as I alluded to earlier, we're actually – next week's episode – is going to follow up on this conversation. We're going to talk more about Alaska and talk about the ships that sail to Alaska, ports of call, cabins. Stephanie already kind of alluded to that earlier with the what's the best cabin, how important is a balcony, all those kinds of questions are, we're going to answer. And this is valid for this week only, so don't bother emailing me. Well, you can always email me, but we're only going to answer it on next week's episode. If you have any questions, specific questions about Alaska, you want to pick Stephanie's brain about Alaska, this is your opportunity Send an email, Matt, M-A-T-T, at royalcaribbeanblog.com. And if any emails we get before we record next episode, we will be sure to read them on that on that episode. Otherwise, we'll answer them in the, nor- in the due course of the email section. So we'll eventually get to them. Don't worry about it. But uh, we want to see if we can get us some questions in for the next week's episode where we'll talk about some of the topics I mentioned. Anything else we miss? Maybe you have a question about those bugs like I do. <laughs> um, you're going to want to email in and ask about that. And all the little, you know, thing, nuances about ports, length of cruise, anything on your mind about Alaska, we're here to help. Stephanie, thank you so much for uh, sharing your insight all about cruising to the last frontier. All right. Thanks for having me, Matt. All right. It's time to answer your Royal Caribbean emails. I love doing this because this is our opportunity to talk Royal Caribbean each and every week. And you know what? I want to hear from you. You got a question, a comment, a thought about anything? I mean, earlier in this episode... I asked for emails about Alaska, but regardless, whatever's on your mind, let's talk about it right here. Email me, M-A-T-T at RoyalCaribbeanBlog.com, Matt at RoyalCaribbeanBlog.com. We got a great email actually from Laura Booth of Kenosha, Wisconsin. Right, hi, Matt. I've been listening to you for years and now starting on WW Today, and I need your expertise. My teenage kids love the Greek and Roman gods, and we're taking them on a land trip to Italy and a Royal Caribbean cruise to the Greek islands in August. We were really limited in dates we could travel. We only had three to choose from from all the cruise lines. I did not want to cruise in or out of Turkey, so this cruise is coming out of Venice, which is perfect for us. We're Disney freaks, but have tried to travel elsewhere over the past few years so the kids could see more of the world, but all that travel has been domestic. We did a Disney cruise with our toddler in 2001 right after 9-11 that my husband won on, wait for it, Jeopardy! But that's the extent of our cruising experience. I feel like a fish out of water on this trip. I have a million questions. I also understand that you have a full-time job. It can only help a little bit. So I'll take what I can get. If you can, this would be awesome. I'd be very grateful. All right. So, Laura, you got a bunch of questions here. I'm going to answer as many as I can. And, of course, Laura also mentioned, if you got lots of questions, this is great, by the way. Just don't, don't feel bad about having questions. This is what we're here for. We're here to help you. Uh, but I would also recommend checking out the Royal Caribbean blog message boards. They are so helpful with answering all your questions and Regardless of what I give you here for answers, Laura, I suggest you post them again. Just copy and paste your email right over to the message board. You get some great answers there. All right. Number one on Laura's list. Do you know anyone who has ever been on this ship itinerary? Any reviews that are out there? Do I personally know anyone? No. 
Have I heard lots of great things about it? Yes. Uh, there's lots of great reviews out there. You know, reviews are one of those things, Laura, and I say this even about my reviews. I write, I write reviews for realcreamblog.com all the time. I will tell you this, take all reviews with a grain of salt. Understand that what someone's experience, one person's experience does not necessarily mean everyone had the same experience. In fact, you and I can both go on a cruise, Laura. Same sailing, same ship, same stateroom category, and we may come back with totally different experiences. You know how that goes. It's... it's it's one of those human conditions, right? We're all different. Uh, so if you're concerned about that you picked the right or wrong itinerary, I wouldn't worry about that. I think, you're, I think going out of Venice is wonderful. You're going to be able to do exactly what you're looking to see a lot of uh, wonderful parts of Europe. And you're going out of Italy, which actually is a little bit of a shorter flight. So, hey, that, there's a win right there. Uh, the ship is Vision to the Seas. You know one thing about it? Well, sure, Vision of the Seas is a Vision-class ship, so it's similar to, say, Enchantment of the Seas in some regards. Enchantment, I mean, with all the refurbishments lately... And I say lately, over the last couple of years, you know, the ship's kind of different here and there. But Vision is a great ship, in fact. And Vision does a lot. She goes all over the place. Sometimes she's in, like, over the winter, she was in Tampa. And now she's over in Europe. And she goes to Asia. I mean, she goes all over the place. So it's a great ship. Obviously, being a Vision-class ship, you know, it's a smaller class of ships. But that allows you to obviously see some more intimate kind of ports. What I like about a Vision-class ship is you really get a sense of... You know, uh, having a getting to know a lot of folks that are with you, you're going to see a lot of familiar faces on your ship, and they got a lot of great options on there as well. Royal Cream has added a lot to the Vision class. The Vision and Radiance class, I think, have been the greatest beneficiary of some of these refurbishments lately because they've added so many more activities, specifically especially dining. It really makes a big difference, so I think it would be pretty darn good about it. Do the cabins have 110 or whatever European electricity is? They actually have both. I've seen both kind of outlets, so I think you'll be all right there. Uh, since this is a European cruise, should we be tipping in euros or dollars for room service? So on the ship, dollars are fine. In fact, Royal Caribbean, no matter where they go, they're still not American base, but you know, the almighty dollar still is, is king there. When you're in Europe, that's a different story. Not that they, I don't think someone wouldn't take a dollar. I mean, I would take a euro, but I kind of look at it weird. Uh, when you're on land, you should you know, plan for euros, but at on board your ship, it's the dollar, baby. Uh, the other thing is, Laura wants to know, can you expect shampoo like a hotel? Packing for two weeks. Great question. So it depends on your stateroom category. Yes, there is shampoo. You don't have to worry about that. The thing is, if you're in a, if you're any, if you're in a stateroom category that is less than a suite, so balcony and below, not counting junior suite, not counting grand suites, you know, anything, any room with the word suite in it. You're going to get in your shower, there's going to be a dispenser on the wall. You hit the dispenser with your hand and magically shampoo comes out of it. So instead of having little bottles, you get that. If you're in a suite, you're going to get little bottles of shampoo, little bottles of body wash, little bottles of conditioner, just like uh, kind of an upscale hotel. But Royal Caribbean is only going to provide you with soap, uh, hand soap that is, and shampoo. So if you're, if you're a body wash kind of person, you're going to want to bring your own body wash. If you're just okay with shampoo, I mean, personally, as a guy, guy man's man, I'm totally okay with just shampoo. I just, I, in fact, I, I kind of like the the, dis, the mystery dispenser on the wall that gives me magic uh, shampoo that, I, you know, hey, what, what could possibly go wrong, right? And that's fine for me. My wife, on the other hand, no. She brings her own shampoo and conditioner and does all that other stuff. Obviously, we have also young children. So we get, you know, the, what's the Johnson's and Johnson's uh, no tears shampoo for them. But, uh, you know, it depends what you're interested in, what, what's, what's important to you. The Laura also said, have you ever booked a private guide instead of an excursion? How do we find a reputable agency? We're really trying to feed the kids' interest and see how and see everything they want to see. Absolutely. And Europe is a very mixed bag of, you know, is it better to go with Royal Caribbean excursions or on your own? A lot of people, in fact, love doing excursions on your own in Europe. But 
it depends on the port, quite honestly, and kind of what your your uh, requirements are, what you're looking to do, and all that kind of stuff. Have I ever done a private guide instead of an excursion? Absolutely, I've done it more often than not. It's great. One of the things that I do in terms of trying to find that is essentially you're going to do, need to do your research. You're going to want to make sure that you're uh, looking at each port, seeing what's available both from Royal Caribbean and independently. You should do this for any port. This is not just Europe in general. You want to make sure that you're uh, doing your due diligence there and seeing what's available. Because in some ports, it may make a lot of sense to go through Royal Caribbean. And in some ports, it may make a lot more sense to go on your own. So again, it depends on what you're looking to do and what's available and all that. In terms of how to find a reputable agency, I this you know I, I mentioned this earlier about reviews. I'm going to contradict myself here. I base it a lot on what other people say. One of the most common places I go to are two places I always recommend, TripAdvisor.com and CruiseCritic.com. Both are really good at finding a lot of good people to talk about it. Do I? And this is what I say about reviews. I'm not going to give one particular review a whole lot of weight. But what I do is I look for a lot of positive reviews about one particular tour, right? If there's 10 people that are saying it's a really great tour and one person didn't like it, well, then that one person is probably weird, right? That That's usually pretty good indicative of, of a good experience. But if you got a mixed bag, if you got like five and five, well, maybe then you got to look a little deeper and that kind of thing. Most agencies are pretty reputable, especially if you have they have a, an established website, if you can find some good reviews on independent sites like TripAdvisor, and, and Facebook even, a lot of other things like that where you get these kind of user-submitted reviews, I think that's going to be really helpful. I'm also, Laura, when I, I'll remember to do this, go to our show notes at royalcaribbeanblog.com. I'm going to post a link to an, a very in-depth article that I wrote on, on royalcaribbeanblog.com about how to find excursions, how to do third-party excursions, and how to kind of evaluate all that. I think it'll be very helpful to you. Uh, Laura also wants to know, are all excursions currently released? Will more appear closer to the sailing date? It depends. Could more be added? Absolutely. You should always keep an eye on the cruise planner. You never know what's going to change. Usually it's pretty consistent. I mean, are, have there been instances where new excursions have been added? Yes. Are there going to be a lot added? Probably not. I think whatever you're seeing right now is going to be indicative of what you can expect, so you shouldn't worry too much about that, but you should always keep looking at it. Also, we're signing up for my time dining. Should we set a time? Some of the port days don't end until 8 o'clock. What are the hours that dinner are served? That's a great question, Laura. My time dining, you know, is you've got choices between my time dining, which is essentially you pick a time, uh, you know, to, to dine at, or you also have traditional dining, which is what I typically do, and you get, uh, you know, set times, either early dining, which is usually around 5.30 or 6, and then late dining, which is usually around 8, 8.30. And there's there's pros and cons of both, quite honestly. You know, and obviously when you're looking at your your schedule, you're looking at your itineraries here, and you're going to get back till 8 o'clock, well, obviously an early dinner is going to really cut in on that time. Um, my time dining is available from 6 o'clock to 9.30 p.m., and you can choose a different time each day, so you can fit, you know, what around your schedule, right? But, you know, if there's one day where you know... You're going to be like, you're going to, you're, if you got to be back at 8 o'clock, you're going to be back at 7.30, you know, which I wouldn't advise, but nonetheless, you know, uh, you're going to want to have a later dinner that night versus another day when you know, well, we're probably going to be done by about 4 o'clock. Maybe you want to have an earlier dinner there. That's the advantage. That's the real great thing about my time dining. I do recommend making reservations in advance regardless of when you're dining because it's just it's going to mean less waiting in line, potentially. If you try to show up, there's nothing wrong with showing up, but you can... There's more like there's a higher likelihood of waiting in a line than if you make reservations in advance. So when possible, when it's prudent, when it makes sense, make a reservation. I think you'll you'll be happier with that. So 
Uh, Laura adds, this is such an odd email to write because I feel like we know each other since we've carpooled so many years together in the car. I know you and me don't know each other at all, but I've appreciated your podcasting for so many years. Frankly, I listened to the Royal Caribbean blog podcast at the beginning so I could get my Matty Cakes fixed. Boy, do I miss the four of you guys. And now we're doing a cruise and can use all the help we can get. So... Uh, I really appreciate any help you can provide me. Thanks a million. Laura, I hope this helped you a little bit at the very least. I know it's tough. I know it can seem a little bit daunting, especially when you're kind of new to cruising or new to cruising with Royal Caribbean. But I promise you, Laura, it'll, you'll have a, first of all, you're going to have a great time. No question about that. Number two, it's not going to be as complex as it may seem. There's just kind of some, you got to learn the lingo. You got to learn the ins and outs. But I think you're setting yourself up for a great cruise. Your kids are super lucky that you're picking this one. And I gotta be honest, I'm pretty jealous that you're picking this one. Sounds like a great itinerary. Laura, I would love to hear your feedback when you get back as to kind of the, you know, what worked, what didn't work, what you liked, and kind of some feedback on cruising out of Venice. There's a whole lot there that, uh, to talk about. So, would love to hear that. Next, we have an email from Susan Widowson, a good friend who writes, Susan uh, writes, Matt, I enjoyed your podcast about the Oasis class ships. Our favorite cruise was on a back-to-back on the Oasis of the Seas, and we're looking forward to the Harmony Transatlantic in October. We feel the most overlooked specialty restaurant in the, is the Solarium Bistro, free for breakfast and lunch, and with a $20 cover charge for dinner. At first, my steak and potato loving husband balked at going to such a healthy restaurant. But he found many things he enjoyed, and he didn't mind going back several times. For dinner, they have a bison steak that is the best steak we've ever had. It was never busy when we were there, and the atmosphere is very calm and inviting, especially at dinner. We will be back many times in our upcoming cruise. By the way, back-to-back cruises are referred to as consecutive cruisers by Royal Caribbean. Thank you, Susan. Very good email. I love the review, by the way, of Solarium Bistro. That is a place I have never tried on the Oasis class. Gosh darn it, there are so many great choices in there. And I, I got to say, as much as I'm a big fan of traditional dining and, and the main dining room experience, I think the next time I do a Oasis class ship, which right now is going to be the Harmony of the Seas Group Cruise 2017. Look how I've slid that plug in there. More details, by the way, royalcaribbeanblog.com for that and all of our group cruises. Um, when I go on Harmony, I think I'm just going to skip the main dining room and just do specialty dining. It's for research people. Oasis, that's what I tell my wife anyway. So. <laughs> there you go. Thank you, Susan, for the email. Always a pleasure to hear from you. Next, we have an email from Brian who writes, I just found your podcast a couple weeks ago and have enjoyed listening to them. I have a question about breakfast on the Oasis of the Seas. I'm trying to convince my wife to try another venue other than the Windjamere or main dining room for breakfast. What are some of the other venues and what do they offer that she can't get in the Windjamere or main dining room? Thanks to the podcast. Keep up the good work. Brian, great question, by the way. So breakfast alternatives to the main dining room or the Windjammer. So two options immediately come to my mind. Actually, three. I'm going to give you three options. Number one is going to be the Wipeout Cafe. It's kind of an odd one to bring up, quite honestly. But the Wipeout Cafe offers a very quick breakfast. That's probably its number one advantage. It's really good for a quick, you know, kind of buffet-style breakfast. The thing is, the Wipeout Cafe offers something that the Windjammer doesn't, which is an omelet bar. It's kind of odd, because on every other class of Royal Caribbean ships, excluding Oasis class, there is an omelet station in the Windjammer. But, on Oasis class, there is not. And the Wipeout Cafe actually has one. Kind of odd, really, right? I never quite understood that, but that's probably the number one reason to go there. Number two option, Park Cafe in Central Park. Park Cafe has kind of, it's more of another kind of grab and go. They have a great bagel bar. If you like bagels, this is your place to go. They have a whole, you can customize it the way you want. They have, obviously, coffees, yogurts, cereals. It's a great alternative, a lot less crowded. It's it's my go-to place for breakfast on 
port days because I know I can get in and out of there a heck of a lot faster than the Windjammer. And the other option is Johnny Rockets. A lot of people don't think about this, in, but did you know that on Oasis, only on Oasis-class ships, A, Johnny Rockets is open for breakfast, and B, it's free. Complimentary, I should say. Yes, breakfast is complimentary in Johnny Rockets on Oasis-class ships. And it's kind of like the main dining room, quite honestly. You got your tra- It's a traditional American breakfast. Eggs, French toast, pancakes, that, that kind of stuff. But it's a lot less crowded than either of the two options you mentioned earlier. And, boy, you got a great view of there on the boardwalk. So you can eat outside if the weather permits, or you can sit inside and <laughs> get to listen to some great oldies while you're enjoying your breakfast. This is a sit-down option, Johnny Rockets, uh, whereas the first two I mentioned, Park Cafe and Wipeout Cafe, are both kind of grab-and-go buffet windjammer style. So you got some options there. But it's a good question, Brian. I'm glad you brought it up, because I think a lot of other people are kind of thinking along the same thing. Let's go to our next email. It is from Dirk Rankin of Freehold, New Jersey. I never thought it would happen, but your podcast softened me up and Disney delivered the crushing blow with their latest prices. After wonderful Disney cruises, we are now eagerly looking at cruises on both Royal Caribbean and Celebrity over the next couple of years instead of staying locked in Mickey's grass. Dirk, I'm going to take a pause right there. I'm so glad to hear that. I went through the same exact thing, and I'm telling you right now, you're not going to look back. Regretfully. <laughs> you're going to love it. All right. On to Dirk's question. We're two adults who don't need things like Florida Riders Central Parks. They look awesome, and we would enjoy seeing them, but when we go on a cruise, we want to know we're on the water, and we're about relaxing around the pool, reading, dining, in the ports. It's all about nature for us. However, we also like the increased dining and entertainment options of larger ships. Which ships of, or classes of ships would you recommend that emphasize the view of the ocean, plenty of adult space for relaxation, and good dining options? Izumi is obviously a plus, but not essential. We live in New Jersey and would sail out of Baltimore or New Jersey for the right itinerary, but are mostly about the eastern, western, and southern itineraries. Also, I know your passion is Royal Caribbean, but given that Celebrity is a sister line, we would enjoy a little more coverage of Celebrity, perhaps through guests to help clarify what other options might serve us best when itineraries and prices are similar. Keep up the good work. I've enjoyed your podcast since day one. You are very informative, and your enthusiasm is fun and gives me a taste of being on vacation every time I listen. That's a very nice thing to say. Thank you so much, Dirk. So let me answer your question. Which classes of ship are best for someone who really wants to uh, enjoy relaxing by the pool, dining, and the ports, and seeing the ocean? Number one with a bullet, Radiance-class ships. Dirk, this wasn't even a question in my mind. The Radiance class is what you want. Radiance class ships are ships like Jewel of the Seas, Brilliance of the Seas, both of which I've documented highly on RoyalCreamBlog.com because I've taken cruises on them. But there's a couple others in, in the in the family. And what's great about the, the Radiance class ships is that they, first of all, there is a lot of glass on the ship. It's kind of one of the, the primary differences you're going to notice on a Radiance class ship is there's glass everywhere. Views of the ocean. They purposely designed the ship so you could always see the ocean from almost anywhere on board. It's really cool, very beautiful, in fact, and uh, it's beautiful in that regard. Now, on top of that, and I kind of alluded to this earlier when we are talking about Vision of the Seas in that other email, Royal Caribbean's added a lot of great dining, including Jewel of the Seas just got a refurbishment, but when I was on Brilliance of the Seas, I was really astounded by how much specialty dining there is. You still you have a Zumi, you, still, you, you have a Giovanni's Table, Chops Grill, a lot of great choices for you, in addition to the complimentary food as well. So you're not compromising on the specialty dining that you would get on, you know, the Oasis class. There's just not quite as many. I mean, in the Oasis class, you're going to have 20 restaurants. On a Radiance class, you're not going to have quite that many. But I think you're going to be fine with that. You're, you know, there's no floor riders, no Central Park. But it makes up for it in, you know, it, it's sheer beauty. you got a great pool area. 
great solarium. In fact, one of the best solariums. It's a, it's a glass enclosed. Theoretically, the Radiance class ship solariums roofs. They, there's a glass roof. Theoretically, they, they're supposed to retract. I don't think they ever do that anymore, or they have done it in many, many, many years. Theoretically, it can happen. But there's plenty of adult space there. And with so many Radiance class ships... They go all over the place. And the best part, the price. Boy, the great thing, if, if you're a small ship fan, if you're a Radiance-class ship fan, you're a Vision-class ship fan, you're a Voyager-class ship fan, you should be really excited about the big ships. Why? Because they help drive down those prices of those other classes of ships. And that's really the huge advantage there because you get, uh, you, you get you know, by virtue of demand, you get better pricing. And you get uh, some, some other ports. Um, now, you, you mentioned New Jersey and Baltimore. The problem is Grandeur of the Seas is what goes out of Baltimore. It's not a problem. It's a great ship, in fact, and I would not hesitate to. I want to take a cruise on Grandeur. It's a Vision-class ship, not a Radiance-class ship. That's the only reason why I kind of balked a little bit uh, in, in terms of recommending it, because it's, if it was a vision, if it was a Radiance-class ship, like, oh, totally makes sense there. But, yeah, it's it's a little different. That's all. Not, not, a, not a problem, uh, per se. And then the other thing is, the other ship that's going to be based, so Anthem of the Seas is based out of New Jersey, out of Bayonne. That's, of course, a Quantum Clash. That's a big boy. That's one of the newer ships in the fleet. And the other one that they're, they're going to be adding is going to be Rhapsody of the Seas, another Vision Clash ship. So what I'm trying to say is, if you want to go on a Radiance Clash ship, you're going to have to go down to Florida. Now, Vision Clash is still great. I think you'd enjoy a Vision Clash ship. They're uh, a little bit, uh, it's a little bit different than the Radiance Class. There's minor differences here and there. Uh, but they're also a little bit older. But that being said, I don't think you'd have a problem with it. And certainly, if your choice was between Anthem of the Seas and Rhapsody of the Seas, based on what you told me, I think Rhapsody would be a better choice for you. Certainly, Grandeur is a wonderful ship as well, and she goes out of Baltimore. So there's nothing wrong with there. But if you want the if you want the best ship for what you were talking about, with views of the ocean and all that, it's got to be Radiance class. So some good choices to look at. And hey, you mentioned Southern Caribbean. Jewel of the Seas out of San Juan, Puerto Rico. That's wonderful choice, in fact. So, I think you got a good problem ahead of you there uh, in, in terms of what to pick, Dirk. So, good luck to you. And I would like to hear, Dirk, send me an email about what you end up picking. Because I love hearing, I love the thought process. To me, it is really helpful and intriguing to understand why people pick. What, you know, let's say Dirk picks Granger. Let's say Dirk picks Jewel. Why did Dirk pick Jewel over grandeur over Rhapsody or, or vice versa you know what what's the thought process there because I think that really helps other people understand when they're planning a cruise you know kind of the thought process so never know all right last email of this episode is coming to us from my good friend Paul Westbrook who writes first it's your fault I'm hooked on coffee ice cream darn you <laughs> second a couple of years ago on freedom this is we had a great entertainment person Dave Mack who did trivia how can we find out where he might be in the fleet Paul, first of all, you're welcome. Coffee ice cream is the bee's knees. It is awesome, amazing. I eat more of it than I probably should because it is my is one of my few vices. Well, all right, I have lots of vices. They usually end in of the seas. Nonetheless, coffee ice cream is a far more affordable vice. And boy, is it tasty. I love coffee ice cream, especially on a Royal Caribbean ship. I, I think I've shared the story before. When we're in the main dining room, and every night there in the dessert menu, there is an ice cream of the day, in addition to the usual ice cream they have. And I always ask the waiter what the ice cream of the day is. And one of the days, it's usually I think day four on a seven-night cruise, is the is of course coffee ice cream. And then I ask the waiter kindly, please bring me as much coffee ice cream as you can humanly carry. And uh, <laughs> that is the highlight of my cruise right there. All right, so on to your question. You like Dave Mack? How do you find out what ship he might be in the fleet? 
The answer is there's no easy answer. Uh, what you basically have to do is one of two things. You could check things like the cruise compasses that we post at RoyalCaribbeanBlog.com and then kind of look around and see where he is. Uh, but I think the more likely way to find him is probably through social media. Either trying to find Dave Mack if he's on Twitter or Facebook and finding him there and then asking directly. The other option is to go on a website like RoyalCaribbeanBlog.com with such a message boards or Cruise Critic, which has message boards, and ask other past cruisers, hey, who's, does anyone know where Dave Mack is, which ship he's on right now? And get some information that way. Um, you could ask Royal Caribbean, quite honestly. I'm not ruling that out. I've never done that. I think, you're, I think quite frankly, you'll probably find a quicker and better answer of finding it on your own. But as I always say, it never hurts to ask, right? Worst thing they're ever going to do is just, <laughs> well, not return your email. But, <laughs> but that'd be the best way to go. I'd go about it social media. It's probably the easiest, most reliable way to get a quick answer to what you're looking for there, Paul. And... Glad to hear you uh, you enjoyed it. Thank you so much for the email. And you're welcome for the coffee ice cream. I think I'm going to go have some now right after this uh, after I finish recording this. So, guys, thank you so much. Thank you for your emails. Love doing this. And, of course, I want to read your email. There's plenty more opportunity to read your questions, whether you have a question, a thought, a comment, anything about Royal Caribbean. You have a short excursion you went on. You want to share your experiences. Hey, let's talk about it right here on the podcast. Email me, Matt, M-A-T-T, at royalcaribbeanblog.com. Matt at royalcaribbeanblog.com. So until next time, I'm Matt Hotchberg, and we'll talk again soon.